Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. As usual, just over the moon for today's guest. Really glad we could get him. So long, long resume. So stick with me. I, I skipped over some stuff, but there's going to be some good points in here. So he played club for the Gananoska Wolves, which is arguably one of the best club teams ever. I can't wait to hear about that. He went on to play at the University of Manitoba, where he's a CIS champion. He's played 17 years for Team Canada. He's played overseas also for the same amount of time, and he's won an Italian, a Greek, and a Chinese championship. He won the World Club Championship and European Cup. He's in the Clarington Hall of Fame. He's now coaching at McMaster, and he's probably not going to say it, so I'll say it. He's one of the best to ever wear the Canadian jersey. Please welcome to the show, Steve Brinkman. Steve, thanks for doing this. Wow. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great, and I, I got to give an early shout-out here to Andrew Richards for the hookup. I'm glad he could connect us to get us on the show because, uh, yeah, that, that's an impressive resume, and I'm glad you could join us. But but to start, even Andrew and I were talking about this. What is the volleyball scene in Bowmanville, and how did you fall in love with volleyball? Because I think that's a, a pretty good sport community, like, east of Oshawa area, but I think hockey's the number one thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually grew up uh, playing hockey at a pretty high level, actually. Um, that's kind of... It was my passion and it's what I wanted to do and what I saw myself doing for a long time. And then, I mean, Bowmanville wasn't known for uh, its volleyball players um, at the time. Uh, I'm not even sure it is now, but my uh, high school, Bowmanville High School, we we didn't really have enough guys uh, to make a team. So there was like a group of five of us who, who really fell in love with the game. And we basically uh, forced a couple more of our buddies to, to join the team so we could put a team together and actually go and play some games. You know, and just, uh, it was actually, I think, uh, a coach, a teacher and coach I had in, in middle school, like grade seven, eight, um, who really kind of put the love of volleyball into into my my heart, really. Um, he was just awesome. Uh, he had made it so much fun for us. And, uh um, he was the guy who kind of pushed me to go and uh, try out for uh, the club team of Banneraska Wolves. Yeah, when did you learn that club volleyball was a thing? Because with the season overlapping, did you have to give up hockey completely to take this dive into volleyball? I did. Um, I did overlap, I think, one or two years. I mean, all this is uh, so long ago now, <laughs> making me feel old. But, uh, so uh, the memories are a little bit blurry, but... Uh, I know there were a couple of years overlap where I was doing hockey and, and the volleyball at the same time. But yeah, then basically I, I, it did come to a point where I had to, uh, to make a decision. And, and I was just at the time having a lot more fun with, with volleyball. I was seeing that uh, to go farther in hockey was going to be tougher and tougher. And, and it was really just more of a fun factor for me. Like volleyball was so much fun. I, was, I had a couple of really good friends. Uh, playing it so it made the decision kind of easier that way and with wolves uh not currently being a club like they, they don't exist in this era what can you tell us about why that club was successful because obviously like dustin reed came through there yourself i think wolfenden was a wolves guy like there's some some top tier players that came through the program right absolutely yeah it is too bad the, the small town club uh out in orno or as I always like to call it, uh, Toronto without the T's. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was Dustin and, and Daryl uh, Reed's uh, parents, I believe, who started the club up. And it was Orno was kind of a little uh, little hotbed or microclimate of, of volleyball talent at the at that time. With Dustin and Daryl, and there were a few other guys. Uh, Todd Boyce rings a bell. Chris Wolfenden went through that program as well, too. Um, so it, it is too bad that the, the club kind of got, as as the club scene grew and bigger and bigger in Ontario, unfortunately, a team like uh, Ganaraska couldn't really sustain and, and keep up with, uh, with those other bigger clubs that were doing bigger and better things. But uh, for that era, it was, it was pretty cool to see um, the level of volleyball that was coming out of there and the, the quality um, of players that, that came out of there too. I think for a club that small to produce several national team players uh, is pretty impressive, if you ask me. Yeah, definitely. Help me out with the timeline because I think you're you're a little bit younger than Dustin Reed, but you would have played with Daryl. Uh, and then with you being a provincial team guy, who were you playing against in club that you would have been also like on the provincial team with in that era? I actually, I never played with Daryl. He's uh, a year or two older than me as well. Dustin, I want to say three or four years older. 
So I never played club with those guys. I saw them um, quite often. Provincial team uh, with me was a lot of uh, like Steve Ayer, Peter Testa, Jeremy Jock here. A lot of the, the London Forest City guys um, always caused us problems. But uh, <laughs> And now I live in London, which is kind of funny. Because I, I, I grew up always kind of hating the London guys. And now, <laughs> now I live here, so it's kind of funny. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some others right now, but I'm drawing blanks. But uh, yeah, we had a really, really solid uh, group, uh, provincial team group as well, with uh, coach uh, Dave Preston there. Now, would it it been common for Ontario guys to be leaving the province? Like, what attracted you to Toba? I'm trying to think, like, Dan Lewis was obviously a Manitoba when you were there. I think Steve Delaney left the province. Like, what, was it common for you to look around? Or, or what were you looking for from a recruiting standpoint when, you know, the, the university talks started happening? Yeah, um, well, I was actually really close. Uh, I'm going to Penn State. I really, I really wanted, to, wanted to make that happen uh, at the time. Our, our club coaches... Uh, uh, Hugh, Mich- Hugh uh, and Michelle Walters, who I can't say enough uh, good things about. Um, but Hugh always made a point in taking us down to Penn State. I don't know how he came up with that, but Penn State was putting on a, a club tournament, I think, every year at the time. Uh, and he took us down there, you know, one, in the middle of winter. Where I think one year we went and uh, one of our players, his dad, had a one of those mini school buses and he drove us down there (laughs) and uh and we're in the i don't know if you've ever driven through pennsylvania but there's a lot of like a lot of rolling hills pretty get elevation gets pretty high in some places and uh middle of winter like blizzard and we're coming down this hill and like all of a sudden like the whole bus just goes silent and we start sliding down this hill from the top. The dad who's driving is just kind of like, well, like takes his hands off the steering wheel. It's like <laughs> nothing I can do. And it was just, a, it felt like forever, a moment of silence sliding down this hill. And we slid, 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 slid. Luckily didn't, like there weren't a lot of other cars on the road. And we, we, we did come safely to the top at the bottom of the hill. But it was a definitely scary, scary moment. But anyway, the point is, uh, we would go down to this tournament at Penn State and play play all these American teams. And it's always fun to, to beat up on them and kind of show uh, what the Canadian boys could do because they didn't have any expectations from us. And we would go there and actually do really well. I think one year we were third or third or fourth and had chances, you know, to, to, to win the whole thing. But um, we definitely turned some heads down there and... Uh, and uh, from the coaching staff as well, they kind of started contacting me after that. Um, but I really, I really loved uh, the whole, the whole thing they had going down there. Um, we went, we would go and see uh, Penn State play in a match. Um, at the time, they had uh, Mexican player Ivan Contreras. I don't know if you've heard of him, but probably the best uh, player to ever come out of Mexico. Um, great guy. I actually ended up playing with him in a pro team in Belgium years later. But uh, I, I remember distinctly watching a game with him, just just a beast, and watching that game and just thinking, you know, like this is where I want to be. Anyway, that's kind of a long story because I didn't <laughs> obviously go there. So it didn't really work out. And then I went on a recruiting trip out to Manitoba. And uh, I know um, before me, like Dan Lewis went out there. Um, Rob Jansen, who was a year, went out the year before me, who I was, uh, I actually played a year of provincial team with him. So I, I kind of had a closer connection with him than I did with Dan. But uh, I went out there for the re- recruiting trip and, and uh, they showed me a really good time. And I just loved that university. And I mean, the national team was training there and, it was kind of a, a too good to be true or too good to be too good to pass down is what I want to say opportunity. So um, I ended up choosing to go there. If you want to talk about um, Ontario schools, like I did, I was I was highly recruited uh, by a lot of Ontario schools. Fortunately, most of them knew um, academically. I probably wouldn't have met the requirements for most Ontario <laughs> schools. I think. Uh, I don't know. I think um, funny story. Brenda Willis. I think her 
um, 10 second spiel to me um, about going to Queens was something like, uh, so I don't suppose you're able to come to Queens, are you? And I kind of just uh, didn't really say anything. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay, well, we, we had our talk and that was it. Dave was really trying to pull and get me uh, into what he was coaching at Western at the time. But, uh, but again, in the end, Manitoba was just uh, too good of an opportunity. So I ended up going out there. Nice, nice. And then you, being an Ontario guy, was like the legend of Garth Pischke what it is today? Because I think with uh, his kids being highly involved, like with Taylor being on the beach, I hear like how great Garth was as a player. But w- with him being involved as a national team coach and a great CIS coach, was that kind of a draw to go to Manitoba? Was what uh, Garth could deliver? Or was it really just you wanted to be around the national team as much as possible? Yeah, well, I honestly didn't know a lot about the national team at the time. Uh, it was actually news to me when I got up there that the team was actually based out of there. I knew they were in Calgary for a while, but uh, they had just recently moved over to Winnipeg. So that wasn't really on my my radar until I kind of got there. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of a bonus, you know, that they're around here. Um, Garth had a little bit... Uh, to do with my recruiting process, but uh, he was also the national team coach at the time, so he actually took a, a three-year leave from uh, coaching the CIS, and the um, guy by the name of Jim Schreier took over for him for those years. So Jim was the same year as my first year. His he started out, and uh, so he was a, a bigger, a bigger uh, influence on my recruiting. Yeah, a lot of people don't don't know or don't know that about uh, the Manitoba, those Manitoba years that Garth actually wasn't uh, wasn't coaching for those few years. Nice. And what can you tell me about uh, just Canada West in general and what the level of the CIS or I think you called it CIU before. So it has had some some few name changes before it got to U Sports. But did you feel it was a big jump or because you were coming from like provincial team here in Ontario? And, and as Matt Harris told me today, like, your team was a legit club team where he would say like that stacks up with what I, I think like Stephen Marr and Reed May and Danny Damingo's crush team is probably the best one I've seen, but it sounds like you guys stacked up really well. So was the level a jump or did you come in as a first year with expectations to kind of start and take over the league and do all that stuff? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect of, of competition um, at the time. Um, I did, uh, I did know, like, it was part of the kind of uh, recruiting process when I was out there. Like, I knew there was a, a spot open open for me to, to start. Um, so that was a, also a huge uh, draw for me to, to go there right out of the, the gates. So, but uh, once I got into that that level of Can West, it, it was it was clear that, uh, you know, it was definitely... Uh, a high level there's a lot of good teams especially like winnipeg at the time university of winnipeg had a had a really good team and they uh, they actually won uh, the national championships my first year um so having that cross down rival with them was huge and just playing the can west teams are also good and it, it stands true today as well and that uh I mean, it's it's no surprise that uh, the better you get, the you get better by playing better teams, right? So um, it was definitely true in that era as well. Nice, and and you may have hinted at this just before about uh, your academics and your passion for that, and you know, choosing to go to Manitoba where maybe another school wasn't on the table. Like Brenda's probably gonna, if we get her on the show, I'm sure she has a version of how many players haven't been going to Queens or anything like that, but. With you uh, being a volleyball guy first, probably more than the academics. I don't know if I'm overstepping, but maybe that's fair to say. When did you start to put an eye on the national team and say that maybe like pro volleyball was going to be something you were going to pursue before the end of your four years at Manitoba? Yeah, um, I didn't know a lot about the national team. I, I mean, it wasn't you know like today with all the social media and, and there's just like countless and endless video on, on almost like anything and players and teams around the world. But uh, at the time it was, you know, you didn't see it. You didn't see it on TV. I think there was only like, there was one match. It was an Olympic qualifier of the national team. And uh, I had recorded it on VHS tape. And uh, I probably watched that match uh, like 200 times. It was like the only volleyball I I could see on TV, right? And uh, so that was really the only, and I was 
really only remember watching like Dustin Reed and because I knew because I kind of known him and it was it was fun to see it. But uh, I didn't know a lot about the national team going into to university. Um, I was fortunate to actually make that team. I made the national team right after my my first year was over, which uh, I, I guess is pretty cool. Um, I was probably only like 20, 21 at the time. So a lot of people talk about uh, Paul Durden, who came straight out of high school and joined the national team. Well, I, was, I was pretty close, close second to that, I guess. <laughs> um, so, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of all fell into place. Um, I think Garth kind of he believed in me, and he saw saw what I could do, and and uh, I was fortunate enough to, to earn a spot into that that lineup almost right away too. So yeah, when we had uh, Fred Winters on the show, he mentioned that like because he's not in the YouTube era, when he got to tryouts, like he wasn't really that intimidated because you didn't really know a lot of the guys, right? Like obviously you you've heard of Durden and the other guys, but. He kind of felt like tryouts went really well because one, he was he was a heck of a player, but two, you're not really intimidated. Like if you're walking into the gym right now, I'm sure a lot of the university players are gonna be like, "Oh, there's Gord and there's TJ and all these guys, right?" So, what was your first impression? Like, did you point out Durden with us like being across the net from maybe Murray Grappentine intimidating, or like you said, like you didn't really know what the national team was, so there was nothing to be nervous or, or fearful of? It's definitely true. I didn't. I, I mean, I didn't know a lot about most of them. Like I knew. I knew Paul and I knew Dustin. Well, I didn't know Paul, but I knew of Paul, um, and I knew uh, Dustin really well. But uh, it's kind of funny. Like I, I guess with our provincial team, so this was maybe backwards one or two years. With our provincial team, uh, we were actually asked to to be um, the towel towel boys for. Uh, a Canada game against Brazil, I think it was at Humber College or something like that. And uh, so I was out there wiping wiping sweat off the floor with these guys and just thought it was one of the coolest things ever. <laughs> but literally a year later, I'm playing with these guys. So it was kind of surreal, surreal moment for sure. Especially, uh, you know, Dusty and how Dustin moved up his ranks through Ganaraska and then on the national team. It was kind of, kind of cool to watch and then to be one of his peers was pretty awesome. Another funny kind of story with when I first met Paul, I was when I went out. I went out to school, and Paul had was actually living in the house I was supposed to move into for my university year, because they were still finishing up some training because they were going off to uh, a world championships or something like that. I forget, but uh, anyway, my first uh, I walked into this house and. Uh, you know, Paul, like, there's a Ken Greaves and Gino Brusso and Paul Durden sitting in this room, and, like, I'm kind of just, like, swallowing my tonsils, like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. And uh, so Paul, like, reaches out his, like, massive giant hand to, like, shake mine, and I kind of shake it, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, uh, like, I'm Steve, Steve Brinkman. And he, like, looks at me, he's like, who? And I kind of just like choked again, right? Like, I don't know what to say to this guy. And then he starts laughing. He's like, ah, whatever. Like, I'm just kidding. Like, I totally know you. Like, and then I'm like choking more because I'm like, what the? Like, Paul Durden knows who I am. Like, <laughs> so that was kind of, kind of funny. But, um, yeah, so it all, but it all just kind of fell into place. Uh, plus, um, Making that team, I honestly don't remember a lot about the tryout process. Um, I don't remember. I was probably extremely nervous going in, but uh, I think I just kind of did my thing, and and it all worked out. Nice. And in doing some research for the show, we're talking to some friends. I mean, if we're going to be a serious podcast, sometimes which we're not, but if we're going to try to be, we got to ask the hard hitting questions here. So you, you just kind of hinted at it that you made the national team after your first year and. That kind of set the table for you to influence a rule that was going to happen that uh, has been coined the the Brinkman rule. So, can you just explain that process and and basically how you chose to train with the national team and then return to school? Like, what what was kind of the behind the scenes that influenced this rule that you came back to the squad and won a CIS title, and then obviously coaches are losing their minds because this national team guy has come back to university. <laughs> kind of funny. I mean, I'm a little flattered. There's a rule named after me, I guess, but. <laughs> Really, I just, uh, I mean, it was a no-brainer for me to to stay with the team that year. It was uh, 
to qualify for the um, it would have been the 2000 Olympics, um, and we were hosting it in in Winnipeg um, around January. Yeah, it was really just a no-brainer for me to, to, to stick with the squad. All the guys were there training right through um, to give it a, the best shot we could um, come that qualifier. So so did all that training, and then, I mean, obviously it didn't, uh, didn't work out. It was a, we, um, how did it go? We lost to, well, we beat the USA in the round-robin portion and then lost them in the final. And I think like we had, we had the choice going into the tournament because we were hosting whether we could do a round robin format or do like a round robin plus final. And we went with the round robin plus final. And then after, I think we were kind of kicking ourselves because because we, you know, harder for us to 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 beat the U.S. after they've they've seen our play a little more like they were so good at the time especially with like analyzing and, and tactics and watching video and, and and coming up with the game plan against us so in hindsight I think Volleyball Canada kind of kicked themselves um, in that situation but uh, the Brinkman rule that's what we're talking about <laughs> so <laughs> sorry I get sidetracked all good no this is great. Um, because just all these like memories start coming back in my head. It's so funny. I haven't talked about stuff in a long time. Yeah. So after that, that, that qualifier went back to the university team, uh, rejoined them, and um, um, we went on. Uh, we actually didn't qualify into the the nationals. Um, we lost to to Winnipeg, and at that time there was no. It wasn't. There was a, actually another conference called GPAC. So there was Can West and GPAC. GPAC was like Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, Regina. I might have been only three teams in conference, which is kind of weird. But um, uh, we would play all the Can West teams, but we would just play our GPAC teams uh, a couple games more kind of thing. But uh, anyway, we um, went on to actually get a wild card at the Nationals that year. And went in and just uh, tore it up and and took it down, which was which was pretty cool and pretty proud moment too uh, for myself and and all our other group that we had, especially for for the coach Jim Schreier at the time. Uh, it was you know just filling in for Garth at the time. He actually did an amazing job with that group. So after that, we won that. Uh, There's a few coaches that I don't know if I want to name names on those. <laughs> I might know a few of them. But uh, um, yeah, they they weren't too happy about about it. Which I mean, I don't understand why. Um, well, I, I do understand a bit why, but I I mean, I'm kind of for like raising the level of the game, right? So like I don't like why wouldn't you want these national team guys playing in your in in the CIS to raise that level? I think I always thought that was kind of a, an odd an odd rule even there's a rule about uh, playing playing uh, years of professional and then not being able to, um, being, those being used as years of eligibility for CIS and I, I never really agreed with that either if like a guy wants to, to play pro a couple of years and be able to come back I think that's just going to raise the level uh, of the game a lot more and, and just help everybody yeah yeah definitely and and it is interesting to hear the full story and that you guys kind of got a wild card and then ran the table. So I'm sure that's what maybe influences some coaches being upset. But uh, yeah, that's good to get to the root of the rule. But, you know, you were eligible and you were still in university. It's just that you were trying to qualify for the Olympics, really, is what it came down to. Absolutely. So with you going through an Olympic qualifier at such a young age, do you remember the debrief process? Because I'm sure, not to speak for you, but... it at that age I would think like oh I'm going to get more chances to do this but being in the room like how did guys like Gino take that or some other vets on the team like were you just kind of soaking in at that time or what was the team's response to not making the 2000 games and how did that kind of influence the rest of your career do you think well for, like, for me well I mean the, those older guys were were took it pretty hard like cause for some of them that was like their their final kind of shot at it and I have this image that's been stuck in my head ever since after that game we lost to the usa and we would they had a medal ceremony we got our 
silver medal. And, um, we're going out, leaving leaving the gym, and on our way out, uh, I'm kind of following behind him, behind Paul Durden, and, and he's just like fuming, and he rips off his medal, like slams it in a garbage can, and uh, and I'm just kind of like, whoa, like. <laughs> And that just really kind of hit me and hit home that, you know, he cares so much about this. And uh, and for me at the time, like, I was just kind of, like, young and dumb and whatever, just happy to be there a little bit, right? So it, it didn't it didn't have that uh, that much of an effect on, on me, but just seeing what it meant to those guys, um, I think, really helped to set the stage for 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 myself and what I wanted and that just made me kind of turn turn around and say like you know what this is what I, I want and this is what I'm going to go for nice nice and I believe was that the year that Garth chose to leave like he left the team at the end of that cycle and then Stelio stepped in or what was the timing on the on the first coaching move you experienced yeah so shortly yeah, right after that yeah, he, he decided to step down. Or I don't know how that process all all went down, but uh, um, I know Garth decided to leave at that time. And then uh, um, Stelio was hired. Uh, we actually went and played in a, a tournament down in Brazil, America's Cup, when Garth had already decided. He's like, okay, I'm out. And uh, Dave Preston was uh, working as assistant coach at the time. So he actually took over for as a head coach for that one tournament that we had to finish off before the uh, the end of the summer. But then, yeah, Stelio, Stelio took over. And, I mean, there was a whole pro season kind of in between all that. So there was uh, a bit of time to, to, to wrap our heads around, you know, the coaching change. And he actually came out to Europe and visited a few of us to kind of talk about what his plans were and, and so on. Yeah, that, that reminds me. I always like asking guys what their first pro experience was like and kind of the lead up to it. So with you being a, a young national team guy, did they help you guide through the process of finding an agent or saying that this league's good for you or, or maybe not go to this club? Like what were your early memories about trying to get that first contract? Well, again, like this is, I had no idea that professional volleyball existed even uh it wasn't until i joined the national team and, and guys on the national team were talking about their their pro clubs and stuff and i'm like hey like what do you mean like what's this um so that whole thing was kind of new to me at that time which um but uh so i mean i had i was you know playing uh university through the winters and then national team in the summers like i was fortunate enough to be on the, the team at such a young age but uh so i had those couple years to kind of figure out you know what i wanted to do do i want to continue on my school or do i want to you know take the opportunities now because i i left obviously didn't finish my my schooling and and uh ended up going off uh to take a pro contract my first contract was was in france He's an agent. Uh, my agent was uh, Paul Graton, who's just absolute legend, uh, Canadian volleyball player as well. I'm sure you've heard of him, but uh, he was kind of like the only agent really working with the Canadian guys at the time. So it was kind of by default you go with uh, you go with Paul Graton, and he had he had awesome contacts in 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 France. So most of the uh, most of the Canadian guys were playing there. And uh, so he uh, he hooked up a, a deal for me out there, and the rest is kind of history. Played with uh, Ross Ballard there my first year, which was uh, nice to have a uh, fellow Canadian, especially uh, you know first year overseas and everything's new. It's, it's nice to have someone familiar. Yeah, and as you continue to progress through your your pro career. What did you start to look for in terms of contracts? Like, were you looking to play for a championship? Uh, again, to spotlight Fred Winters, like, was money the, the be-all, end-all, that that was going to be, like, the deal-breaker for you? Or did you want to be in a, a certain country because of lifestyle? Like, because uh, it looks like you played a lot of one-year deals, right? Like a lot of volleyball players do, where you weren't returning to a club very often, where it was kind of upgrading or moving to a different league every time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, one-year deals are... are extremely common 
most <laughs> most deals are won. Um, mostly because uh, I mean clubs clubs only really know their budget for a year. I mean the maybe the bigger clubs, uh, you know, they're in a different situation, but most clubs uh, probably only know what kind of kind of budget they'll have for, for a year. And also as, as the player going over, you, you don't always know exactly what you're getting into. So like if you're signing a multi-year deal and you get over there and realize like what kind of situation it is, then, you know, you might not be too happy. Sorry, I forgot your your <laughs> initial question. I was just wondering what your process was like when you decide to go from like uh, France to Belarus, or eventually you end up in Russia, or you play some yeah, great yeah. years in Italy. Like, what made you choose to go to which league at which time in your career? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to get over there originally and and kind of just make a name for myself. And and uh, I mean, France was a great league actually to to start out in. Um, and honestly, like I, I listened to this to Fred Winter's episode, and he talked about money was a factor, and he couldn't be more right. Like everyone's gonna go where they where they're getting the most money, and it's it, it just comes down to that. You might have a few few guys who who have more choices, but uh, usually the usually you're gonna take where you get the most cash. Obviously, I mean, I wanted to. To, to advance my career I wanted to play in better leagues and and I think I was pretty fortunate to play in, in a lot of the, the best leagues in the world and live in some pretty cool places now for for my benefit and hopefully for the listeners because most of them are based in Canada can you just express or describe what it's like to play in a league where you're like winning a European club championship or a European cup like what are those experiences like where you're playing at the highest level? Like, are the fans just crazy? Are you getting recognized at the grocery store? Like, what is it like to be a pro athlete in those environments? Yeah, so, I mean, I was fortunate to, to join the, the Trentino Club for that one year, which it could possibly be, I mean, arguably one of the best uh, teams ever put together. So it was pretty cool to be a part of that. Um, I mean, guys like uh, like Kaziski, Wanterena, Rafael. I was uh, opposite uh, Jan Stoker, Vitar Durch in the middle, Birarelli. Um, but the surprising thing was like our how good our bench team was. Like I was a bench guy on that team, um, but we had like uh, Lucas Shigadlo, a Polish national team center, uh, Sokola, Bulgarian beast of an opposite, and like this, these guys are off the bench. Uh, Filippo Lanza, national team Italian guy. Like the the list goes on on that that team, and it was just kind of ridiculous. Just the level of the level of play at practices and and just seeing seeing those guys and how they you know carry themselves and there was a definite celebrity kind of around that team where you definitely noticed all around the the entire city and you know we would go and play where everywhere we'd go and play it was kind of like we were the we were the the team everyone came would come out to watch even if they're rooting for their own home team but they would wanted to see they wanted to see see us play um so it was pretty cool to be a part of that whole thing and winning a lot of titles there and just just seeing out what that like highest level is actually all about and what went into your your mindset or your expectations when you're overseas playing for some of these top clubs like did you have expectations that you you wanted to start and you wanted to earn these championships or was it the other way that as a foreigner you felt pressure to to perform and and really that there was eyes on you or your coach had expectations or you knew that the club had high hopes that maybe they were going to threaten not to pay you or some of those horror stories like what went into just going to these top clubs were you like you said progressing your career and trying to be at the highest level but was there any external stuff going on that like maybe volleyball players should be aware of here as they're starting to pursue their own careers I mean, you, being a, for, a foreign player on any of the teams, you know, you you already know you're going to have that um, added kind of pressure. You know, they, they pay a lot of money to get you there. For not only does your con pay your contract, but there's transfer fees and flights and finding you apartments and all these all these things that uh, the club does to, to get you there. So obviously you kind of have that, uh, you know, hanging over your shoulder and adding that kind of pressure to, to perform. So um, it never really got to me 
too much. I was pretty fortunate over my career, I think. Um, I was, uh, I feel like I, I advanced kind of well through the, through the leagues and always kind of left a pretty good reputation. Um, a lot of, um, never really had too many problems with clubs. Uh, if there was, there were, there were a few times where, you know, I wasn't, wasn't paid a couple months salary here and there. It has nothing to do with, uh, to do with, uh, personal, uh, performance kind of things. But, um, some clubs are, you know, just a little shady and, uh, that's kind of how it works. And when you chose to go to China, uh, and obviously you were there with Fred Winters, so hopefully having Canadians around made it more comfortable, but, uh, uh, some beach players have told some interesting stories over the year and I, I've experienced, I don't think China's better or worse or anything like that. I just think it's so different than Western culture, right? So what were your impressions there about, uh, being a foreigner in the Chinese league? And I think Fred mentioned that was one of the first years they had a lot of foreigners in the league, right? Like you guys were kind of groundbreaking in terms of having Canadians in that league, right? Yeah, absolutely. We were, as far as I know, we were the first, uh, the first foreigners to play uh, on the men's side anyway. Um, in China, so myself, Fred Winters, and uh, the Cuban slash German uh, Salvador <laughs> Hidalgo. So that was a actually really awesome experience to, to go out there. Um, pretty special, I think, for me especially because you know teams like teams in China, like well, they're they're deciding to to add foreigners and uh for them to take a middle i think is pretty pretty huge because i mean i also actually was fortunate to play a year in japan which is also pretty special um because the japanese foreigners allow uh they allow one foreigner per team and they're always opposites maybe you have a left side guy in there um once in a while but uh they just get the guys who can put away 50 balls or hit 80 balls a game but uh, for the Japanese team and the Chinese team to take a to middle it was kind of a nice uh, little compliment I think uh, to my career nice nice and did, just to jump around a little bit going back to the national team one thing that was cool that Fred really corrected me on was the national team was competitive during Stelio's era that it, missing World League was actually like a financial issue where uh, I actually just looked it up. In 1999, you guys took an eighth at World Cup and in 2003, you took a seventh. But there was that era from about 2008 to 2011 where you weren't participating in World League, right? So what can you tell us just about that era with Stelio that the team was still very good, right? There was just some external stuff going on that maybe the optics of Canada being a top team in the world because the, the competitions weren't there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, you know, our world boils down to money and we had a, we had an awesome group of, of players. Um, and it really kind of bothers me when I hear people talking about, you know, how, how poor the team was or how, how bad the team was and how much better it is now. And, and I do agree the team's in a lot, a way better place now than we were. But, uh, in terms of talent, we had, we had world-class players like with Paul and Terry Martin, Fred Winters, Jason Haldane, like Murray Grappetine and I in the middle, like we kind of had the middle position locked down for a huge stretch of time. Koski, Setting, Doug Bruce, just to name a, a few of the guys, but like these are all like world-class players and we're all playing in, in great leagues overseas uh, professionally as well. We just, uh, we just didn't have the competitions like we weren't in world league for a lot of those years and it boils down to the extreme cost that world league has like it's just ridiculous amount of money to to play um but uh there's it was definitely struggling times like i remember going to uh, uh an event uh it's called uh, Super Spike uh, Volleyball, which is actually an enormous event in, out in Winnipeg right now. But in the in the early stages of that event, um, I remember going around like they they were asking us to go around and kind of like they cut some holes in some volleyball volleyballs, and we were going around to people in the crowd and like asking for money. And it was one of the most <laughs> degrading things I've ever had to do. And it just kind of goes to show like where. You know, we kind of were at um, 
but unfortunately you needed the money to play in the competitions and if you weren't playing in the competitions then it made it just that much harder so stelio you know he did a he did a pretty good job with with the group with what he had to work with um he we weren't in the world league for a lot of these years but uh we got back in in 2007 but uh glenn had taken over i think in 06 Glenn was glenn's first year i think that's right yeah and uh a lot of people I don't think know that uh, it was actually, you know, a lot of Stelio's uh, work that got us into that 2007 World League because he kind of was like, well, you know, if we can't get in in any, any of these other years, you know, he did that that groundwork to, to have Volleyball Canada in a position that we could afford to do it um, in that year of 2007 so that would lead into um, the Olympic qualifier for, for 08 kind of give us the best uh, shot at that so I think a shout out to Stelio for, for getting you know having that vision of being able to do that I think I mean Glenn will be the one of the first by to, to admit that as well that that wasn't his doing uh, that 07 World League Nice. Yeah, it's good to have just some clarity, some people who live through it because, and deservedly so, I think Glenn gets a lot of credit because he's done a lot of good, but not to ignore like the Stelio era or even some stuff that Garth did and just to hear about your career is great. But uh, when Glenn did take the reins, what was he doing well that the team did did experience a jump? Obviously, the, the funding help with Own the Podium and some other people coming in, but was it refreshing for you to have like a, a coach who was a middle blocker coming in or, or what was the change that Glenn was able to do to kind of influence you and the rest of the team? I mean, the biggest things I think he did was uh, was growing kind of the, the pool of athletes. That, like, installing kind of his system into into our play. Um, but uh, to me, growing that that uh, that pool of athletes was, um, was one of the biggest. It is one of the biggest reasons why the team's having more success now. In those, those earlier days, we... You know, we had a pretty small group, and that was mainly because of, uh, of obviously funding. But uh, the the carding money, I mean, I could be wrong here, but I think we, I think they were only eighteen to twenty max cards. They might even be high. I don't, I'm not sure. But um, that was only only uh, that many players um, were carded. And we were also not able to to split those cards. So that was something that Glenn. Um, I don't know how how he. I don't know if it was anything to do with him or not. But eventually, because at that time we were we had our card for twelve months, and that was it. We would act. It was actually I. It was a huge benefit to to myself and others because we would you know play national team in the summer, get our twelve month carding, be paid all through the year while we're overseas playing pro and collecting a pro contract as well. And, uh, I mean, it doesn't seem fair and it obviously isn't fair, but, uh, sport Canada was would not allow you to split a card. And, uh, I think eventually during Glenn's time, they, they loosened those, those rules, which was huge because now, now all of a sudden you're, you can split your, your carding into the two, three, like it, all of a sudden your pool of athletes or the number of athletes you can support, you know, doubles, triples. So I think that was a huge factor in, in why uh, we have a bigger, bigger group of uh, athletes able to train. Nice. And when you look back, I know it's going to be tough, but is there any either event or, or specific match that stands out to you that like, that, that's just a great memory for you, whether it's, you know, beating Brazil in Canada, some of those times we hosted events or, or just certain things that stand out over your career that, that that's going to be a top uh, Team Canada memory for you? Yeah, for sure. There, I mean, there's definitely quite a few. Winning winning a, the bronze medal at um, Pan Am Games 99 in Winnipeg was a pretty cool um, memory that, that has stuck with me forever. Beating Brazil at, uh, at a World Cup where actually uh, – I don't know what happened, but someone like the Libro position was pretty new still at the time. But something happened. I think Bruce Edwards was there or Libero at the time. I don't know if he got injured or something. But anyway, we were playing Brazil, and, and I just remember Garth 
coming up to me and being like, well, he's like, you're staying in the passing rotation. I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, all right. I mean, you have to understand, like, I, I grew up in the, the no Libro era. And I, I mean, kind of self-pump. Like, I was pretty proud that I was able to, you know, as a good passer, digger, like, ball control was, was not really, like, I, I could handle my own. And uh, we actually ended up beating Brazil in that game. And so that's kind of a cool, cool memory to have. But I can say, like, I, I was I was a passer in that game. I wouldn't be able to tell you my passing stats, but uh, I don't even know if they're out there like, <laughs> like, they, like they would be today. But uh, that's a kind of a cool memory. Nice, nice. And I just want to circle back and pull on one point you brought up that uh, being a foreigner, like a middle contract is pretty challenging. That's one thing I've learned just from doing this podcast is I thought Libero's had it tough, but the, a few of them have mentioned middles have it tough as well. So with you getting these contracts, what could you tell just a casual volleyball fan that this is a middles value, like this is how they get involved tactically, or these are the things that they can influence? Like, what did you always pride yourself on that you knew you were contributing, even though you're going to get less attempts at the net or, or you're not going to play in the back row, like little things like that, right? But what does a middle really influence that, that you prided yourself on? Well, I was probably, I mean, if I had to pick something, I was probably more of a, an attacking middle than, than blocking. Um, so I think I kind of just, uh, you know, if, you, if you're putting balls away, then you'll, you'll be noticed, right? And same as if you're blocking a lot of balls, you'll be noticed. So I think uh, just being a good complement to, to, to the team and, you know, doing, doing the right things, like, and, and you'll be fine. Nice, nice. And with you transitioning to a coach, it, it makes sense that you mentioned Dave Preston earlier as a provincial team coach. So when you get home and you, you've retired from playing, does he just phone you up or are you pursuing him? How did this opportunity come together for you to be on the McMaster coaching staff? Uh, I'm not sure. I think I ran into Dave like because I, I, I moved to London and uh, I was hanging out with, with Paul and his. Uh, I think one of his kids was playing in a like provincials or something was going on out in Waterloo and he's like, Do you wanna, you know, jump in the car and come come check out a game or just come check it out? And it's like, Yeah, you know what? Why not? I went out there and and uh, with him and I ran into Dave there. Uh, he was obviously there like, you know, recruiting or just checking checking the checking things out. And so I just got to talking to him there. Um, we have we have such a a great history um so it was pretty uh, pretty no-brainer for me like if i wanted to be involved with, with any team you know it, it made sense to me to, to to join join with him um even though i was living in london and it would have been a lot easier for me to drive the five minutes to, to western <laughs> western's gym than the hour and 20 whatever it takes to get them back but uh that relationship i had with dave was was just you know too strong and, and the history is was so great that I, you know, uh, I jumped on board. Nice. And what have you enjoyed so far about uh, joining the coaching ranks? Because I think the, the, there's examples for both where I think ex-players make great coaches and ex-players have made not so great coaches, right? So what have you enjoyed are just working with young athletes? Is there some bonehead mistakes you're trying to fix? Like, what have you enjoyed so far about working at the university level? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably put myself more on the uh, ex-players uh, make not so great coaches <laughs> side. Um, <laughs> it's just my kind of personal, but uh, and you know, I, I'm there kind of part time. I'm only only make it out there maybe once a week, um, so that makes it a bit tougher too to develop those kind of relationships with the guys. And also, you know, you're not there the other days, so you're not seeing the day in and day out of what the guys are doing. So you kind of kind of feel a little strange coming in and saying like, Hey, like do this. Um, but maybe, you know, they were talking about doing something a different way like yesterday, but, um, I, I just enjoy being, being in the gym. You know, I, I took a year or two after I stopped playing and, and, you know, just stayed away from it. And it's, I really just enjoy being in the gym with the guys and like, kind of like shooting the shit with them and you know and trying to help in any way that I can you know if they got questions I'm more than happy to answer I'm kind of a more of a better that way like I'm more hoping they'll ask me something than than me kind of pointing out 
to them and everything that I see. But I also love just, you know, working with Dave and he's great. We always kind of would debrief usually before I take off and drive back to London. I kind of just give him, you know, my view of what I saw that day and how I feel. And he, he can take it out how he wants. Well, man, this has been awesome to learn about your career and just how you got into coaching and just cover all these awesome things you've got to do over your career. One thing we're trying to make a tradition on the show is just to share a funny or unique story where you've played at the highest level. You've been a professional athlete, but volleyball players still experience some funny stuff. So I was wondering if you could give us a story from the road before we let you go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let me think. There's a one I was in, uh, we were playing, well, there used to be this tournament called uh, America's Cup, which actually through a lot of those years um, was one of our few competitions that we have. We didn't, wouldn't have World League, but we had this America's Cup, which was always always so much fun and, and high-level competition. They would take like the top three uh, teams from South America, top three from uh, Norseca, which was typically always uh, U.S., Cuba, and us, and uh, Brazil, Argentina, Venezuela. So there was, and then most of, through those years, like teams would send their their top guys, and there was some some great uh, events for sure. So one of the one of the original ones was down in uh, in Brazil, and uh, I think it was the year. That we that Preston was coaching when Perth left. It was, it was after we hadn't qualified for the Olympics, and we went down and uh, played in this tournament. And all the other teams were, you know, Brazil was going. They're all going to the Olympics, so they're kind of training their teams to, to get, get ready for that. But uh, I ended up having like a, just a career tournament, and, like just lit it up for whatever reason. And I was getting like Brazilian agents were coming, trying to like give me offers on Brazilian teams, which I had already signed my first contract in France. And uh, they're like, the money they're talking about, I'm like, oh my God, like I have to make this work. But I'm like, I'm like, I can't break my contract, can I? And I'm talking to players and uh, most of them are like, not really giving me great advice. So I didn't really, I didn't really feel good about uh, breaking my contract and in France and in hindsight now I would have done it in a second <laughs> but uh, just knowing what I know from like all the pro leagues how they kind of screw players over whenever they want so like why not a player screwing a club over it uh, you know yeah I had this great tournament and uh, you know the tournament had this after party uh, thing and you know other players are like telling people that their like that their name was Brinkman just because so, I was getting all this attention and uh, they were trying to get in on some of that but the funny part um, so we're the next morning we're we're, we had to fly back to Canada right so we're up uh, having our breakfast uh, buffet in the hotel there and uh, you know I'm I'm going to get my food or something I I hear this guy saying like like, Brinkman Brinkman hey I'm kind of like like what I look over and he's like I have I have a blonde girl waiting for you <laughs> I'm like you know like double take like what like I'm like what he's like I have a blonde girl waiting for you come and so you know like I well I did what any like 20 21 year old single kid would do is well I gotta go check this out right <laughs> So I follow this guy out into the lobby, and he's like, he's like, here, he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, there's this, there's a blonde girl there, like, looking very young, and I'm like, oh, like, hi. And he's like, he's like, this is my daughter. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, He's like, he's like, can you, can you take her home with you? And I'm like, pardon? I'm like, you want me to take him, take her with me back to Kent? Like, yes, yes. And I kind of just, uh, you know, like, what do you do in that situation? I, uh, I kind of just was like, well, uh, we're leaving soon. Uh, uh, I think, um, you know, Murray's taking all the bacon in there. I better, better get back <laughs> And I just, just walked away. Like, and thinking back, like, that's just, I mean unbelievable like i think you know 
uh, I think Brazil, uh, we were in a city that uh, was obviously had some 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 rough rough times at that that time. So I think he was, you know, trying to find a better life for his daughter or something, which is kind of funny and kind of sad at the same time. But yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. So yeah, I mean, other of... other than the the daughter thing, like was that one of the moments where you felt like a big shooter the most, or when you were playing and like winning like the the Greece championship or playing in Italy like is there opportunities for volleyball players to feel like big shooters because I feel like when I'm around the beach national team players like there's kids who play volleyball here in Ontario who don't recognize them right where you sound like you you've been the big shooter overseas right because they're just so passionate about volleyball yeah yeah, absolutely it's uh I mean it's, it's a cool feeling I mean I never like really sought out that kind of kind of stuff or or wanted to be like I, I never liked being in, in the spotlight so much it was I was more kind of a I was happy being behind the scenes and you know the guy would come out and play really well but then kind of go and go off and into my own little bubble again or something but it's definitely definitely nice to to have that recognition and you know have people recognize you or you know want your autograph and stuff um and back in those days like Anytime we go to Brazil, Argentina, those countries were just like crazy about it. And there's, there's cool stories with um, you know fans. Like I remember one tournament we're playing in Argentina, and our tournament was done or whatever, and we're looking out of our hotel balcony, and there's just like the street is just packed with with people like screaming, like fans, like all just hanging out there, right? And so we'd go out on the balcony and like cheers would start going off and crazy. So we started like, Oh, like hanging out our Jersey, like, and they go even crazier. Right. So I forget who it was. Someone threw their Jersey down (laughs) to the crowd down below. And we watched the mayhem just unleash (laughs) or like so many people just like trying to jump on this thing. And then for the next like 30 minutes, we watched these people and there was like five or six of five or six of these younger kids like had a grip of this, this Jersey where no one, none of them were letting go. So we just kind of kept watching to see how it unfold. And they ended up cutting the Jersey into like six pieces and everyone took one home with them. It was one of the wildest things. That's amazing. Yeah, but these stories are amazing, but I imagine it reaches a point where it flips the other way, right? So you've been the hero in a lot of these places and felt like the rock star, but has there ever been like a, a hostile environment or maybe you're playing for a rival club? Like, is there any opposite ways you could go with a story just to share like what volleyball is like in some of these these passionate countries you've played in? Oh man, like hands down, like Greece has the, the craziest fans i don't even know if you can call them fans like i mean i could talk about it forever on here and, and but uh when it comes down to it the, the greek clubs um they all have the have their their I, I call them gangs um so no matter what sport uh their club is playing in because these clubs have you know basketball teams volleyball teams uh, soccer teams like they have them all right so so whatever whatever sport uh is going on at the time like they'll get these crazy gang members coming to the games to 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 show their colors right um so one of the one of the wildest games of, of my life and it's actually was i think my second last game professional game ever so i took a pro contract in in greece um played with uh, steve gotch was on our was on uh, my team and we were fighting just to stay in the league like to fight off uh being relegated to the the second division um and i don't know if you know how big of a club uh panathinaikos is in greece it's like one of the the biggest if not the biggest uh sports club in Greece um, and we were playing with them and it basically came down to us and them um, and we were playing in, in their gym so the whole thing started out with uh, with us in Athens in a hotel and uh, I remember our our manager comes and is like okay we're going to the game now um, but we all got to meet at the same same place same time 
um, because there's uh, we're having an escort to the to the gym. I'm kind of like whatever, like sure. Um, so we drive to the gym with these about five or six guys on motorcycles. I think they were undercover cops, and they were basically there to protect because. And I'm like, what? Like, what is this for? Like, why are why are these these? Why do we need this? And the like, manager looks at me and he's like, he's like, you don't know Panis Nagels. He's like, you don't know what they're capable of. <laughs> oh, man. I'm kind of just like, oh, really? So like, they're expecting like everything, right? So like, they're expecting someone to be sabotaging our our ride to the gym or something like that, which is crazy enough in itself. But then. We get to the to the game, and it's just just like a war zone in that gym. Like people, people like people spitting from the stands. Like you didn't want to go anywhere close to the to the crowd because you get just showered and spit, and uh, you know throwing water bottles on the court. The game was stopped several times. Um, There's a moment when. Uh, you know, I was back at the service line, and all of a sudden, this guy comes running onto the court, shirtless, just like screaming, and like this huge guy, like muscle head, and he's like screaming at me, like he's just like come from the Battle of Sparta or something. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm actually scared for my like. I've never experienced, like, and this is the end of my career. Like, I've went through a lot of stuff through my career and <laughs> never, ever seen anything like this. And so I'm actually really just scared. I've never been terrified in a volleyball game before. Um, and this was it. So they, they stopped the game kind of at that moment, I think. And, uh, you know, we went off, we were going off into the, the change room and uh we had to go under the these bleachers to get to, to our dressing room and we're escorted there by like riot police and all this stuff and the next thing you know like there's this guy we look up and this guy trying to urinate on us from up above and he's sitting there just yeah like so unbelievable disrespectful but um so we were sat in the 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 dressing room for a while uh, came out tried to play the game again i think it lasted about two minutes before we're like just too many like bottles of water were being thrown like guys on our team were getting hit by them it was just an ugly ugly situation and uh we ended up going back into the team room they they actually cleared all the fans out of there it took probably like half an hour to get all these rabid fans out of there and then we came back and and finished the game. But uh, I mean, by then, like we had no chance of winning that game, like even before it started. So it was that was kind of an interesting and, and crazy, crazy time for sure. <laughs> That's insane to go from like the most vicious and hostile environment to like an empty stadium game all in the same night. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Like it was bizarre after that, but like. At that point, like it was like you know, I was still in fear. Like I'm like, are they are they outside waiting or like what's gonna happen? Like all these thoughts, right? So it was it was it was definitely a bizarre bizarre moment. So sorry, what was the end of that? Your club ended up getting relegated. So we ended up getting relegated because yeah, we had no chance of winning that game. We actually, uh, I think uh, our. Our manager told us after, like, he had the opportunity to to call the game at one point and say, like, we'll replay it uh, at another date. And he's, he decided to go on with it because, actually, we were doing quite well. Like, I think we won the first set and we were, you know, we were, you know, playing quite well. We were, it was, like, in the second or third. I don't know. I don't know when they actually, uh, when that moment was, but uh, he actually made the decision to go on with it because he, he thought that we, we were going to win it, but uh didn't happen. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm learning so much where looking at your career, I would have expected like an Italy story or a Russia story, but to hear that even like the Greek league is super intense and super passionate just shows that, you know, there's a lot of European countries that really love their volleyball. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Another story in Italy where uh, I played a year in our last uh, our last game. We uh, lost in the first round of playoffs. We lost out, but uh, um, I was playing in, in southern Italy where it's a, definitely a different world than uh, the rest of the country, but uh, fans were pretty passionate there too, and it was a big deal um, having our team team there and um, some world class players playing there. So it was kind of like a celebrity thing there as well. But uh, we finished that game, and then the entire crowd like barnstormed the court, and you know asking autographs, asking for stuff. So someone asked me for my jersey, so I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem, give me my jersey. And like someone's like, hey, like. Can I have your shoes? And I'm like, yeah, well, like, I don't need these anymore. Sure. I take my shoes. And like, next comes the next. Like, someone took my shorts. Someone took my sweaty socks. And like, then I'm standing there in my underwear. Like, what is going on? And the uh, crowd's just like, they're loving it. And I kind of like battled my way through the crowd to, to hit the, the dressing room and get out of there. But uh, before someone, you know, wanted, <laughs> wanted my underwear too or something, that would, that would, not, would not have been a good scene. It just sounds like the, these fanatics, as soon as they get one thing, it, it's just game over. We had a Jason Lockett on the show and after a beach tournament, he gave his jersey away. And before he knew it, his hat was gone, his sunglasses were gone, where he's just like standing in the timeout area being like, am I being like robbed at this moment, right? Because you give them permission yeah. and they'll just take anything. Absolutely. As soon as you, as soon as you give something, then it's game on. <laughs> better be prepared for it. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Because these are, these are great stories where I don't think you would have gotten to experience half of the stuff if you weren't a volleyball player, right? So I think those are just some perks of, of being at the highest level to have these, you know, unique experiences where I'm glad you got out of it and you could tell the story where, you know, it is pretty sad to hear about the daughter thing or to hear how, like, you're getting water bottles whipped to you, but it's still kind of funny later on to look back and see all the stuff you've experienced right oh absolutely like and i've only probably touched on a few of the the, the stories like so many more you know are coming to my head now too that i because I, that now that i'm thinking of them but uh yeah it's pretty cool to have experienced all these things and all thanks to volleyball volleyball has given me you know so much well basically everything like I have, like a, even to this day, like I look around, and I'm like, like I have the house, my house, I have my house because of volleyball. I have, like, I met my wife through volleyball. Like we have kids. It's all like, it all comes back to to volleyball, right? So I'm very, very fortunate and, and thankful for that. Amazing. Well, I'm glad we could leave a few stories in the vault. So when we get you on a second time, we'll have to tell some fresh ones and maybe maybe see if we can clean up some non-PG ones so we can get those out. Because I'm sure there's a few of those that you're hiding away as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's, there's a bunch. Oh, man. Well, this is this has been great. I know I promised you an hour and we're just a touch over, but I want to thank you for sharing all that you did and, and sharing some laughs and also what you were able to accomplish. This is This has been awesome. So thanks for coming on. Great. Thank you.